Welcome to the Big Unlock Podcast, your leading source of info for insights and best practices in digital health and digital transformation. Join host Patty Padmanabhan, CEO of Demo Consulting and co-author of Healthcare Digital Transformation, how technology, consumerism, and pandemic are accelerating the future in conversation with leading practitioners of healthcare and technology. Hello again, and welcome back to this episode of the Big Unlock Podcast. I'm your host, Patty, and my special guest today is Tom Leary, Senior Vice President of Government Relations at HIMSS. HIMSS has just published a very interesting report titled Public Health Information and Technology Infrastructure Modernization Funding Report, where they recommend an investment of over $36 billion over the next 10 years to modernize our public health infrastructure. Tom and I unpack this report, talk about why now, what does it all mean, and what the opportunities are from a public-private collaboration and partnership standpoint. Let's dive right in. And before we get into the conversation, a quick shout out to our sponsors and partners, Biva. I am excited to be here with Tom Leary, Senior Vice President of Government Relations at HEMS. Tom, thank you so much for setting aside the time and welcome to the show. Thanks, Patty. It's uh, been a lifelong dream of mine. Uh, this is you, you run such a great podcast, so thank you. Well, that's very kind of you, Tom. I really appreciate you saying that. Well, Tom, why don't we dive right into this? HEMS has published a report of, for which you are one of the co-authors a report recommending $36 billion in public health technology infrastructure modernization. I guess my first question is, why now? Great question. Uh, well, to tell you the truth, Patty, we uh, we started our journey in, in 2018. And in, in the uh, late winter of 2018, we have some staff uh, who said, hey, you know, public health is uh, was supposed to be phase two of uh, high tech back in uh, 2010. Here we are heading into 2019 and there's been no real specific investment in uh, in public health infrastructure. And we've gotten to a problem where uh, CDC has 159 different systems that all talk to themselves and don't talk across the organization. Uh, we, we've got a real problem that uh, we HIMS needs to be lead on. So we started down that journey by uh, helping to launch a data elemental to health campaign in, in 2019 as the measles epidemic or measles outbreaks were happening in Washington State and New York and Kentucky and a few other places. And at the launch of that campaign, the, uh, the CDC director, uh, Dr. Redfield uh, at the time said, uh, I've got a real problem. I can't respond to this information uh, to this problem because I've got... 2015 data here in early 2019, so four-year-old data, and I've got one specific staff member uh, who who can uh, help me with this uh, to analyze all of this. So that's really the was the launch of the conversation. Well, uh, a full year ahead of the pandemic, but uh, as as we move forward in in what the, you look at the data campaign and you look at this report, they're specifically focus on on some key areas that this report takes to a whole different level. So what we've learned through the pandemic over the last two years of why this report is so so important right now is that 
as we stood up our, our clinical response in hospitals and clinics across the country, they were able to respond pretty rapidly by adding telehealth and remote patient monitoring and other capabilities because uh, we had made the investment in the, in the electronic health record and other health IT solutions through the Meaningful Use Program. And what was glaringly absent was the fact that the public health community couldn't keep up, didn't have access to the data, um, report after report or you know, um, anecdotal representation of the COVID testing clinics that were set up in parking lots, you know, staff taking down vital information, uh, case reporting, important data, putting it in the electronic health record for the hospital's use or for the clinic's use. But in terms of being then being able to report it to public health, they had to turn around and get their stubby pencil and pad out and, and write down the information and then fax the information into the public health department. Time after time, uh, this is really what the anecdotal evidence uh, pointed to. Now, some communities were further ahead than others, but uh, by and large, public health IT infrastructure is glaringly 20th century or even late 19th century uh, information gathering where the clinical setting was well, well into the 21st century solutions and the response times being able to get back with the patients on a positive test and what public health could and could not do to help them was dramatically slowed down by their inability to have uh, great technology available to them. Technology that is absolutely available in the marketplace right now, but not available in the public health setting. So that's really what prompted us to, to write the report of, we've made the investment at the, uh, at the clinical side 10 years ago, what does the public health community need? And that's where we were able to come up with a, a rather, it took us a little bit longer than we had anticipated, but this four, the results of the four-month uh, review in multiple uh, interviews across the, across the United States allowed us, to, afforded us the opportunity to, to uh, gather the information to point out this, this great information that is, uh, uh, that's needed, the $36.7 billion that we're recommending. And we will uh, dive into uh, some of the salient uh, highlights of the report. So I got the broad picture here, highly fragmented uh, infrastructure. The data is all in silos and our ability for rapid response at the national level or even at the state and local level is seriously hampered by the current state of our infrastructure. So we'll jump into the, jump into that. But before that, just for just for the sake of clarity, when you say public health, what are you including in that definition? State, local, federal, what are you including in it? For this report, we're primarily focusing on the state, territorial, local, and, and tribal requirements. We have, as part of the data campaign initiative, we've been pushing for funding for the CDC to help to modernize their systems, as well as for them to work with their partners at the state and local levels. But this report then takes the conversation one step further and helps to answer the question that we've heard from appropriators and uh, really uh, policymakers across the country. What are we really talking about? And, you know, is when we were asking for a billion dollars over 10 years uh, compared to IT systems that have been implemented, whether it's federally at the DOD or VA and their, their electronic health record modernization or some of the efforts that are underway at, you know, EHR purchases uh, in health systems across the country, a billion dollars was really just the, scratching the surface. So the question became, 
what do we really need to be investing at the state, territorial, local, and tribal levels? And that's where this report came from. So can you help uh, break down the $36 billion for us? So what kind of time frame are, we, are you recommending in the report? How does the $36 billion break down between different components, broadly speaking? Sure. And what are the immediate priorities in, in uh, your view? Absolutely. So we break it down in the report in two phases, really. Uh, the first five years addressing key areas that are uh, electronic case reporting, electronic lab reporting, immunization registry and immunization information sharing, modernization, uh, vital records, and finally, uh, workforce development investment of around $25.5 billion. And again, at the state, territorial, local, and tribal levels. And then once, in order to get them up to speed and really to be equal partners with the traditional clinical side of, of healthcare delivery here in the U.S., then we turn our attention to the year six through 10, establishing a uh, true learning health system within healthcare to include public health, as well as some, some real other key long-range investments that results in the remaining $10 billion investment. These are pretty big numbers, and you've highlighted some pretty glaring gaps or deficiencies in our current public health infrastructure. So question that comes to my mind is, how does the United States compare with other OECD countries in this regard? Do you have any thoughts on that? Yeah, and our sense is, uh, you know, it's because the care delivery models are a little bit different from a population and public health perspective, other countries go at it uh, in a much, much more of a coordinated effort. I'd say that uh, some of the population health investments that we're hoping to make in the prevention aspects that we're hoping to make here in the U.S. is just part of the fabric of healthcare delivery in other countries. On the flip side, as we've seen in some uh, some recent reports, recent work that HIMSS has done in Europe and, and the, as well as uh, Asia and a little bit in uh, Latin America, we, the United States, has made has made the investment, particularly on the clinical side over through the High Tech Act in the uh, 2010 through uh, 2020 timeframe has put us, created a great foundation to be able to respond. So what we're seeing in in places like uh, the EU, they've created a European recovery and resilience uh, fund to help countries begin or improve their digital health transformation so that they can say that they've got the foundation in place to then be able to build on the pandemic response. What we saw in the United States was uh, the investment in the meaningful use program, particularly the hospital, clinic, and provider setting. We were able then to layer over, layer on top of all that technology, the telehealth services, the remote patient monitoring services that improved access or kept access high, but also kept people safe from being unnecessarily exposed to the to COVID-19. The same cannot be said in all places around around the world. So they're they're suggesting that that they need to make that similar foundational investment. Yeah. I just wanted to also mention, and you're probably aware of this, Tom, that uh, even in non-OECD countries, like in India, for instance, there's a massive effort underway right now to build this uh, common infrastructure, the national provider directory, national patient registry, and so on and so forth. Massive yeah, Lav Agarwal uh, yeah. was what he was the uh, secretariat for the uh, 
Global Digital Health Partnership, which of course is, uh, was established what, about four years ago. I think he, he and, and the Indian government really made some great, great strides. And we're thankful for all the work that they're doing in India at being able to compare and contrast what's happening in other parts of the world. Absolutely. Let's take a quick break. And I'd like to acknowledge our partners and sponsors, Be Well. And if you like this podcast, rate us on whatever favorite podcast platform you're listening on. And if you're interested in listening to the archives, visit us at thebigunlock.com. With that, back to the conversation. So this is a massive modernization effort by any definition, and uh, it's going to take place over a very long time. Obviously, there are going to be some implementation challenges. Now, Tom, you pointed out early on the technology exists, and we have, we've come a long way in terms of the foundational uh, technologies, and we've got you know, cloud capabilities, for instance, that have come a long, long way in the last uh, several years. Now, it's a different story when it comes to the data infrastructure, especially around data sharing. And you, know, you and I know this very well. In the private sector, the data sharing is unfinished business. We've come some distance, but uh, it remains unfinished business. What do you see as the big lift when, if the government decides to find the funding for it and then launch the program, what do you think is going to be the big lift from the, from an implementation standpoint, I think it's twofold, really. Uh, great, thank, thanks for great question. Because it's uh, the twofold approach. I would say that are is we've gotten uh, the executive order from the president, and which has required Office of the National Coordinator and, and the in the CDC to work basically attached at the hip over the last year and a half, and they've selected two great leaders, uh, Mickey Tripathi, of course, who's a longtime HIMSS member and an advocate for interoperability from his days in Massachusetts, yeah. and et cetera. And the uh, current ONC, ONC chief. Correct. The current national coordinator for ONC. Mm-hmm. And then Dan Jernigan, who is uh, no stranger to technology advancement needs in of the community, of the, of the broader public health community, but also he has a lot of the uh, experience uh, having worked in HL7 work groups, et cetera. So the first step of, of making sure that the two agencies are working very closely together and that they're working in partnership with the public health community, I think that's a, it's a dramatic improvement over what we saw in 2020 with respect to the, the initial response to the pandemic of what, what seemed to be a lot of fragmented approach. So I think that's the key first step. The second issue that's going to be really a, ch- a challenge, particularly at the public health, at the state, territorial, local, and tribal levels, so at the stilt level, is workforce development. You can have an influx of, of technology capabilities but if you don't have the data analytics capabilities, whether it's on staff or a hub and spoke approach between the state and the, and the local public health departments, you really we need to make sure that the funding and the workforce are available. So I think that's the second big challenge is going to be the workforce development. So with respect to where it's headed, there's been a lot of conversation, the CDC consortium about what it looks like, what the infrastructure looks like. But just as importantly, getting people to realize that a career in data analytics in healthcare is something worth pursuing. And then just as importantly, data analytic career in the public health setting is just as uh, rewarding. 
part of what the administration and what Congress have done over the last year and a half, and I would say that as far back as, as the tail end of the Trump administration, is beginning to look at, at those workforce issues. And so the development and release of, of funding for this new center within CDC on forecasting, you know, natural disaster, I always get their name wrong, but it's, it's essentially a pandemic and, and natural disaster health forecasting center putting a lot of emphasis on making sure that the data can be shared between CDC and and the local and state communities. That is a great new investment that came in with the Biden administration and and with the Congress's funding. And then secondly, this new omnibus with the DARPA-H, or ARPA-H, excuse me, is modeled on DARPA, the Defense Advanced Research uh, Program Agency, it's this new one for healthcare, I think is going to have a great impact, not only for the NIH community, which we would anticipate and which we saw Francis Collins in the tail end of his, his career, you know, of his tenure at NIH supporting. It also has a lot of great opportunities for the CDC and for the public health community. So maybe a long answer to your question, but I think that's really where, where we're headed is the challenges as well as the opportunities. Well, well, you talked about the workforce challenges, the workforce enablement. I guess you have to find the workforce, bring them on board, right. and then you enable them. And without making this a political question, how much can the government really staff up on its own, given the scale and scope of what we're trying to accomplish here? And therefore, is there a role for a meaningful public-private partnership of some kind. What are your thoughts on that? I think you're absolutely right on another great question. That's why I love this podcast so much. The twofold really is that uh, it's got to be a public-private partnership. We learned a lot from the meaningful use. You know, I always go back to meaningful use. Uh, the historian in me wants to look at the programs and what we learned from those programs in order to make sure the next set of programs works great. And what we've learned is it's got to be a public-private partnership. You've got to, uh, there's an opportunity, whether it's cloud providers who have been right in there and, you know, CDC uh, consortium conversations with ONC and how can we help public help leapfrog into the, you know, use the right technology to leapfrog into uh, the 21st century. It's the uh, systems integrators who, uh, who have years of experience working with the states and working with the CDC. It's got to be a public-private partnership because the government can't do it by itself. And I guess the other part of meaningful use that, or the overall high-tech program that we should be taking into, the, into this new phase is it's the public health departments don't necessarily know how to, they don't necessarily have the expertise to purchase the right equipment or to hire the right staff. So if they can work in partnership with the private sector, whether it's something like a similar to the old regional extension center program or, you know, some form of collaboration with the organizations, with the private sector that has that experience It'll decrease the time to decision making. It'll decrease the cost if you're able to avoid some of the some of the uh, the, the challenges that uh, you know unnecessary challenges that that could be put in your way. Yeah, and uh, you know a related question I have on this is, and I don't know if this was explicitly called out in the report or not. I don't recall it, although I read through the whole report. What about the information and data security aspects of it? You know, our current fragmented infrastructure, I've got to believe that that is a concern, among other things. How does your report's recommendation address that aspect of it? 
So I would say that uh, from a security aspect, shame on us if it's not highlighted, because what Hims has been saying for the last five or six years is that uh, we've learned a lot of lessons by saying information sharing is key. Provider and patient need access to the just-in-time data, but you need to make sure that it's transmitted in a secure way. Hims was first voice in the healthcare community calling for what is now the 405 C and D reports components of the Cyber Infrastructure Security Act of 2015. We made sure healthcare was involved. We now there's now a a great collaboration between large organizations and, and less funded or less uh, resourced organizations on information sharing on cyber. The Health Sector Coordinating Council Cybersecurity Task Force that uh, we helped to uh, really advance is a great example of what the public health community needs to be thinking about with respect to cyber. And, you know, just healthcare remains the number one attack sector for a lot of reasons. State-sponsored bad actors, just independent bad actors are targeting healthcare. We would be absolutely remiss if we didn't make sure that security was front and center in the discussion. And I'll say that giving credit to our friends at the Council of State and Territorial Epidemiologists, the American Public Health Labs, and uh, and the folks at NAPSIS, they, along with uh, with the CDC, have been absolutely banging the drums over the last uh, 12 months, making sure that cyber is part of the discussion, is absolutely in the uh, beginning of the framework. So HIMS and our partners are absolutely believe that cyber has got to be part of this discussion. Yeah, and I've had one of your colleagues, Lee Kim, on the show talking about the work that uh, you've done, HIMS has done. So uh, don't feel too bad about it if it's not in your report, because I'm fully aware of the focus on cybersecurity and the work that uh, HIMS is uh, doing. And so are our listeners, hopefully, if they've, if they've heard the podcast and uh, we talked about the the state of cybersecurity, especially now in the context of geopolitical events elsewhere in the world that uh, potentially may, may impact us. And so, yeah, I think, uh, I think that him certainly has a focus and, uh, you know, we're, we are very grateful for the work that uh, HIMSS is doing in this regard. Before we go off of that, that's, uh, if it's not in there, that's a great reason for version three of the report to be put out in the next you know, six months. Hopefully the number won't continue to rise. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. There you yeah. go. Well, we have a couple more minutes uh, left here. And so, uh, you know, bringing this all together, Tom, for our listeners and for the audience of this podcast, who are mainly health systems executives and the technology sector executives, mostly from the private sector, what is the big takeaway for them from this report? What should they walk away with when they read your report or they listen to this podcast? What they should say, the big takeaway is that uh, it's time for public health to be an equal partner with the clinical setting and that it's it's going to take a public-private partnership in order for us to make that investment, the true investment into leveling the playing field between clinical traditional clinical setting and the public health setting. If we've learned anything from the pandemic, having and even the measles outbreak and the uh, e-cigarette uh, challenges of 2019 uh, we've learned that siloed approach to public health, reactionary approach is not going to get us uh, to the kind of success that we're looking for here in the U.S. And that it's this, this report really calls on the, the investment, not only in the, at the federal level, but truly at the state, territorial, local and tribal levels so that everyone and so that we have everyone has the technology but more importantly, the people that they serve, the health equity is available and they have 
equal access to the uh, best available care and uh, the best response times. That's really, I think that's the big takeaway. That's well said. Thank you so much, Tom, for setting aside the time and talking us through the, the contents of the report. I strongly recommend this for uh, those listening to the podcast. This report is out there on the HIMSS website, and we'll include a link to it in the podcast as well. So I strongly recommend that the audience takes a look at it. It's called the Public Health Information and Technology Infrastructure Modernization Funding Report. Once again, Tom, thank you so much for joining us on this podcast and all the way best to you and your team. Thanks, Patty. Thanks again, and thanks to everyone. Once again, I'd like to thank our partners, BeWell, for their sponsorship and their support. We hope you enjoyed this podcast. We invite you to subscribe to our weekly newsletter, The Healthcare Digital Transformation Leader. Write to us at info at with your feedback and questions. 